Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your Monday Tennis Podcast, where Canada has concluded... And Cincinnati has already got underway in earnest. It is that time of the tennis year where the events come so thick and fast that they overlap. And we love it. You find us in very hot and humid climes once again. I've got my air conditioner on, so that's uh, the hum that you can hear in the background. And I'm still sweaty. And there's a hosepipe ban. Um, so who knows what state of showering you will find us in over the course of the next few podcasts. How are you coping, David? Uh, All right. We have had a a drop in temperature of about six degrees today, to which I am able to exist (laughs) without being just sat there in a mess. Uh, But, I mean, it's um, I I do love this this period of tournaments. There's these one-week... Mixed tournaments. I, I said on Thursday that I could imagine just sitting there for 15 hours a day watching these matches, and it's pretty much what I've done. Um, and looking at, you know, then I looked at Matt sent through the Cincinnati highlights of the first rounds, and again, it's just the same thing. It's just fantastic as a time of year. And I know we have a bee in our bonnet about this. This is very much pushing the tennis podcast agenda. But I do think last week, and I I anticipate the same this week, is a great advert for one week long 1,000 events. Yeah, and it's going the wrong way then. Because, Mm. I mean, they're they're actually going to make these tournaments one and a half weeks, aren't they? And they're going to do the same with Madrid. And I do get it. I, I, I understand the point of trying to... Uh, expand and build these particular moments and names of of venues and cities in the calendar and making a big fuss of them. I I really do understand that. But it does dilute them. And you do end up with days that are a bit eh, not that bothered about today or there's not that many big matches on today. And and yet every day over the last five or six days has felt a big deal and fun and I've got to be there and I cannot move. Yeah, and one one of the selling points of the Masters or points of differentiation of the of the one thousand events over a Slam is that from from basically third round onwards you have to play back to back days, um, and I know that's tough on the players, but it does make it a different challenge to to the Grand Slams. It poses a different question, and I I like seeing how players cope with that, and I also like knowing. 
you know, I've just watched an incredible match with Dan Evans and Tommy Paul. I th- Great, I'm going to get to see Dan Evans again tomorrow. You know, I know he's going to be on the schedule tomorrow and that's going to be a fun time. I think, I get it as well, David, but I, you know, and I, I think, Matt, you agree. Um, I just, for the viewer, I think this is kind of the ultimate for this level of event. I completely agree. It's a business decision, isn't it, to change the length of these Masters events, stretch them out over 10 days. I don't think it's great for viewers, personally. I mean, I suppose there are some who will say, okay, fewer matches would overlap. I could maybe watch all of the matches. But personally, I just think buzz is what you want on on, on days and weeks like this. And it's what you get when it's when it's over a week. And I thought Canada did, did a really good job of scheduling the women's matches and men's matches at slightly different times of day, you know, so you really could... You know, there wasn't much overlap. You could roll from one into the other, and the and the schedule was packed every day. It was great. They really lucked out with the well, not lucked out. It was good planning, I suppose, with the final schedules yesterday, didn't they? They allowed a two and a half hour gap. Yes, it was between the scheduling of the of the women's final and the men's final, both of which went to three sets, and there was. There was about 10 minutes in between the conclusion of the women's final. You just got to see enough of Simona Halep's reaction and her, you know, doing a quick interview. And then you got to transition seamlessly into the into the men's final. It was it was perfection. <laughs> um, so Simona Halep, a bit of a giveaway there. The champion in Toronto, she beat Beatriz Haddad Meyer. Uh, of Brazil, six three two six six three in the final, and then over in Pont- Montreal, Pablo Carreño Busta, thirty one years old, with the biggest title of his career over Hubert Hurkacz. We're going to start in Toronto, um, and what was a a fascinating week in in so many different ways, um, with so many newfangled things happening, and yet with a very old fangled champion. Yeah, it, it was, and yet a, a bit of a reboot of uh, of Simona Halep um, this year, but this was the first moment that she actually won a tournament in, in that year. Lots of promise, and and I don't... We, we kept talking about, between us, how, well, how well is she actually playing? Because it wasn't all roses, was it, this, this, this week? This wasn't... Wimbledon final form that she produced against Serena Williams that day. She she had spells of very good tennis, but she was grinding and she was finding ways to win tennis matches. And I was a, I actually really enjoy that Simona Halep as well. I enjoy watching a player trying to come back against her when they realise they've got to hit out and they've got to try and hit her off the court because that's the that's the book on beating Simona Halep. And yet she was just there. All the time, particularly at the end of the the final. Yeah, it. it <laughs> I, I've been pondering on this. How well is Simona Halep actually playing? And she, she destroyed Donna Vekic in the opening round. And I saw bits of that, and I thought she really is playing well. This is, you know, close to vintage Simona Halep. But actually, I think purely tennis-wise, I think she might have actually dipped as the tournament went on. It ended up being a slightly weird final. Neither. Neither player played well at the same time. It was all about intensity, that final, and not so much about level of tennis. And I actually think it's intensity that is winning Simona Halep tournaments and uh, uh, matches and now tournaments. And that is what she 
has rediscovered with Patrick Moratoglu hunger, desire, intensity and belief. And there's a lot to be said for that. I do think there is frailty there, tennis-wise. Her her serve is extremely vulnerable and just deserts her at times. Um, and I think players are going to punish that. And I do also think her fuse is very short. You know, she, she can be in command of a match. It's almost sort of Andre Rublev. Like, you think she's in command of a match. She, she hits a, a wayward forehand and suddenly she's self-abusing out there you know I think she was bashing herself in the thigh two games in to the final yesterday I do think there's a you know if a player can probe at that that weak spot emotionally there is frailty there but I also do think and it's evidenced by this week that the hunger and intensity of Simona Halep is so overwhelming that it can get her when it's like it is now because I don't think it's been there for the last couple of years but when it's when it's at this peak, it can get her an awful long way. I don't think I have much to add to that analysis, really. That, those were all my exact thoughts. Um, the fire is burning inside her again, like it hasn't been for, for a while. And I think it was after Doha this year where she told her team that she didn't really think she was going to be a tennis player for that much longer she, because she didn't think she could compete at the top and you know six seven months on from there we're now seeing her win a Masters 1000 event for the first time in a couple of years the first time on a hard court in four years and absolutely it was that intensity it was that desire it was that fire that was kind of the defining feature of her I felt this week because as you said sometimes her tennis was brilliant you know there were moments there where she was great you know thinking the way she wrestled that third set back in the final and I've just got this image of that incredible forehand passing shot she played right in the closing stages. You know, oh, there were yeah. there were vintage Hallett moments in there for sure. But really it felt all so insecure and a bit fraught the entire week. And as you said, the serve was extremely vulnerable. And and thinking back, it was actually the serve in the Wimbledon semi final against Rebekina which really let her down. I think she hit about double figures, uh, double faults that day, and she was quite high on double faults this week. It just never felt like any lead that she had was safe because her serve might just go. She might just decelerate on it and serve double faults and and be vulnerable. So, I, you know, I suppose all of that put together, it made for a really compelling week. You know, she was kind of her own opponent on the court, and yet she managed to to overcome herself. Coco Goff playing really well. She overcame Jessica Bagula playing really well. Hadab Maya really confident. It was a it was a brilliant title victory f- from her. And yet, I don't know, for example, that I necessarily see this as right. Halep's going to go and win the go and win the U.S. Open as well. It, it just doesn't feel that secure. It feels like it wouldn't take much for her to get beaten. She's kind of hanging on, and you know. But it, it was. A thrilling, thrilling week. And the other factor is this bizarre record she has at the US Open. You know, everybody has their favourite slams and least favourite slams, but it it baffles me a little bit how much poorer her US Open record is versus the other Grand Slams because she's obviously a brilliant hardcore player. And I think 
I, I think she's perhaps intimated in the past that she doesn't love New York. It doesn't suit her personality brilliantly. There's also the fact that it's at the end of the year and she plays quite a grinding style of tennis. Maybe it's the balls. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it, it it does it does create intrigue, doesn't it? Because usually, you know, two-time Grand Slam champion wins one of Canada and Cincinnati. You automatically put that player into the U.S. Open mix. But by the definition of our mix, I still think I'd be surprised if Simona Halep won the U.S. Open. Discuss. Yeah, I, I know I, what you mean, and New York doesn't necessarily mesh with every player. You can be perfectly happy and serene at every other Grand Slam, and then you get to New York, and you've got a 35-minute good-case scenario journey into into the tournament from Manhattan every day, and then back at night. All it's the all buzz. about having a good playlist, David. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, do, yeah. do share yours. Um, I will. Thank I will. you. Um, but I mean, it's not for everybody, actually. Uh, I, even if you go back as as far as Bjorn Borg, he won everything, but he didn't win the US Open. He didn't like the nights. He didn't like the light, the lights that were coming down, the floodlights. And there were there there have been other players over the years that have just not really enjoyed it as much as as the other Grand Slams, whether it be surface, whether it be the kind of heat and humidity that you get in in New York. And I do think I can imagine Simona Halep just just finding the the whole thing a bit frenzied, a bit too much, um, too much for the senses. Just just because she brings a lot of her own senses to to everything, her own uh, intensity, and and that that's a lot altogether I think maybe I would put her in the mix because I think that it could go the other way the Matt you 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 rightly say that how long do you, can you hold on if you're not playing that well and keep winning matches but that form may actually start to come as well and if she's if she adds her best tennis to this then I don't know. I just I think the mix is probably pretty big at the U.S. Open for the in the in the women's side, and and therefore she would be in it. I think for me. Yeah, I think she's in my mix. I just don't think I would be picking her as right as sort of the number one. But but I think she's in the mix given given her experience, given the fact she's won this title, as you said, without playing her best tennis, she might still find it. She's in there for me, but. New York record and the possibility of it not lasting make her not an automatic pick like you might think she would be. She ma- she made such a point in um in her victory speech of calling it a team victory. It's my first. It's our meaning her and Patrick Moratoglu. It's our first title as a team. We had quite a few interview VTs with Simona Halep over the course of the week in. You know, she would rather talk about Patrick Moratoglu than than herself. You know, she is all in on on Patrick Moratoglu, the the church thereof. And look, it is obviously working. It's working. I, I'm I'm delighted to see that whatever he's doing has lit the fire inside Simona Halep again because it's a it's a compelling sight in tennis. But re- regardless of who the person in question is or what the situation is i it does just make me a little anxious that level of reliance on an external person and a coach and obviously there's this sort of added dynamic of it being you know an older man i just 
that makes me un- it's an uncomfortable aspect of women's women's tennis that so often these sort of authority figures that they end up relying on are are older male figures but maybe it's unfair of me to bring this up because it is working but it I find it a bit unsettling um and I, I do just I do just worry that I don't know I don't know what what scenario I specifically worry about other than yeah, I find it unsettling. I mean, I suppose I would worry a bit if, and it sounds like this is the case, a lot of the people who've been around Halep for a long time are, are sort of no longer quite quite there. It's, it's all in on Moritoglu. And as you said, it is working, but you kind of like to see some stability, I suppose. Um, and also a big thing for Halep, her whole career, was kind of the whole Darren Cahill aspect was not relying on on me Mm. not relying on the coach and it it does seem like there's been a bit of a backward step there in terms of now I really need Patrick and look maybe that isn't a backward step maybe it's going backwards to go forward again in terms of you know we've spoken about that that desire is back but also I did notice that I I think Moritoglu joined halfway through the week I don't think he was there for the first three matches certainly I didn't see him courtside Oh, and if he's there, you see him. Well, that's exactly. That's, that's <laughs> That was my thinking. Um, you see him, you see his hat, you see everything. Um, and I felt like those first few wins, okay, she was, wasn't playing as strong opponents, but they were actually her best performances. You know, as you said earlier, the way she beat Vekic, the way she beat Zhang Shui, I think Teichman as well, Moritoglu wasn't there. Halep looked great, you know, and, and wasn't getting down on herself so much on, on the court. In those back-end matches, there was a lot of stress. And they were more stressful mm. matches because she was playing better opponents. But there was also Patrick Moratoglu sitting on, on the sidelines. And, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's clearly working. But I, I'm also not going to say it's, you know, really, really all sort of rosy and... Mm. It it is interesting though. It, it, Simona Halep over the course of the next few weeks is going to be fascinating. As is Beatrice Haddad Meyer, her first one thousand level final, the first Brazilian woman ever to to reach a final of that of that level. Of course, one thousand level events didn't exist when when Maria Bueno was uh, was plying her trade, but still. Uh, an incredible result for uh, for Beatrice Haddad Meyer and for Brazilian tennis. She's into the world's top twenty. Uh, I know we've been getting a bit of flack on on Twitter for making Beatrice Haddad Meyer the butt of a joke. Just want to be clear: it is David who is the butt of the joke, <laughs> uh, and absolutely not Beatrice Haddad Meyer, who I think is a top twenty player to stay. I, I don't think it. it, it it's always interesting when a player has this hotter streak, you know, when has this anomalous a set of results over over the course of a short period of time. Is it just a hot summer? Um, but I, I mean, it is a hot summer for Haddad Meyer, but I also do think this is the start of something. I don't know what the end point is. I'm not quite sure yet what her potential is, but she's another player whose intensity, I think, will carry her an awful long way she's got the demeanor at the very least of an absolute top level player you, you you wouldn't know what the score is 
when, when you tune in at any given time, looking at her body language, you would not know what the score is. And that is pretty difficult to teach, if not impossible, I think, and a real superpower at the top of the game. You, you might have been onto something, David. Yeah, I might have been. Um, but I, I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't feel as though I, deserve, I warrant any any credit for picking her to do anything at Wimbledon for a start. She lost at the first round. Uh, yes, this happened a month later, and so I'm quite happy to take all the plaudits you want to throw my way for saying she'd reach a Wimbledon <laughs> final a month ago. Um, but. I didn't really realise, didn't really know her as a tennis player until this week in terms of what she brought. What I was basing my assessment on, and I often, I often find I do this, I'll look at a player's results and see who she's beaten, who, who, she be, who she's beaten and who she's backed it up with and how long that's taken place and even what the lopsidedness of scorelines. I think you can sometimes... Sometimes they're misleading. Sometimes you'll watch a, a 6-4 and it'll have lasted an hour and 20 minutes. Other times, you know, it, it's nothing like that. Um, but I feel like the, there was there were some messages in the, the run she had on grass, the, the, the depth of the runs that she was going to and then doing them again the next week against really good grass court players. So this was, this was a great week to find out, for me at least, to, to discover who she is as a player. And you look at who she beat... Leila Fernandez, Igor Sviantek, Belinda Bencic, Karolina Pliskova, every single one of those is is a top player, has either won the Olympics or won a Grand Slam or been to a Grand Slam final. And she's gone and rolled through all of them. And they're all different types of players, different physical uh, presences that they have. And to use that word, that's that's what struck me beyond everything with Beatrice had to admire is she's six foot tall left-handed not really like anybody else I don't I can't think of too many other players I've heard comparisons to Kvitova um, I think there there are some similarities but there are also some differences but she has she's pres- so much so much more physical than Kvitova I yeah think. and and she's so much more in the face she has true presence on the court you your eye is drawn to her she mm. I don't know whether this is true because from <clears throat> what I heard commentators saying who dealt with her during the grass court season, she seems to be a really lovely person, great to talk to, very open, very interesting. But on court, she is a killer in terms of her, the way she's looking over the other side of the net. She looks like she's trying to engage opponents almost with the stare. And I don't know whether that's true or not. It may just be a total coincidence. But I'm watching her against Igor Sviantek. I watched all of that match. Sviantek in the second set, I mean, in, in high wind, it was really, really difficult conditions. And I thought, God, uh, a player of her height trying to control the ball in this, in this swirly wind is, is a real challenge, real test for Haddad Meyer. But she just kept sort of deliberately staring down the other end and then hitting a big shot and then having another, another look up. There's, there are some comparisons I would make in terms of demeanour to Garbinia Magarutha at her, at her best, where... She's in there. She's intense literally all the time. There's never a moment where she's where she's taken her foot off. Um, and a good player. I mean, she's at her best, I think, when she's bringing it. And and the, the few times she ended up at the net, goodness me, she volleys nicely, I mm. thought. Very securely. I'm a big fan of the stare. I, I've, I've got to say, I don't think... No, uh, no great surprise. <laughs> I don't think Igor Sviantek is a massive fan of the stare. That was an utterly compelling match. How much do we write it off as a blip? 
perhaps a a a, a weather related blip the the wind was undoubtedly a a factor in that match or how much do we look for a, a little bit of a pattern here the loss in Warsaw the loss to two two whole losses for Iga Svantec three if you if you throw Wimbledon in as well you know it, are we having crisis talks about the world number one <laughs> well that's it I've been writing off her losses I, I I've been thinking oh well it was grass and it was Cornet that was very losable at Wimbledon then it was, you know, first match back in a little while, sort of slightly random tournament on clay, pressure of playing in Poland as as the world number one. That was, you could kind of explain that one away as well. And then you get this one and suddenly you've got the fact that she's lost three of her last six matches. And collectively, maybe they tell a story that she's not in the sort of form that she was in when she went on her, what did it end up as a 37 match winning streak, I think. That has been so lodged in my mind, that Iga Svantec. I keep telling myself she's that player, she's in that form. I think the evidence is that she's not quite in that form at the moment and she is a little bit more vulnerable. As you said, it was very tricky conditions. I just expected her to deal with them better. You know, she is the world number one. She has got variety. She was so much overhitting, which is becoming a real trademark I think when she doesn't play well she she loses control of that forehand in particular the second serve is a big big weakness when it's when it's being attacked and I thought had Admire attacked it in a similar way to what Caroline Garcia did in in Warsaw really went after it I think Svantec really struggled to win points on on second serve especially in the final set so where are we with Svantec I don't know is the answer I'm still trying to figure it out but I think I do need to probably slightly lower my expectations of her. You know, one good win against Aya Tomjanovic, and I thought, right, okay, she's back. But actually, this is a, a a period of not brilliant form that she needs to work through and get back to being the player she was earlier in the year. Sloane Stevens or Elise Cornet first up for her in uh, in Cincinnati. Hmm. Maybe we'll we'll learn significantly more. I feel like that's a that's going to be an important data point. That match, regardless of opponent, about about where she is. Um, one last talking point from uh, from Toronto before we head uh, head to Montreal. Coco Goff uh, won the doubles title alongside Jessica Pagula's uh, Jessica Pagula. They beat Ellen Perez and Nicole Melikar-Martinez in a match tie-break on their eighth match point. Uh, It was an extraordinary conclusion to that match. Absolutely thrilling. Um, And perhaps more significant than the title, Coco Goff, 18 years old, American number two in singles, to, to Jessica Pagula, incidentally, is now the world number one doubles player. That blows my mind and is something that has really snuck up on me and it makes me really joyful. I doubt it makes the double specialists uh, on tour very joyful because um, there's always a bit of needle, isn't there, between the, the 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 doubles players that, you know, ply their trade at that form of the sport week in, week out and, this, and they think, oh, you just, you just rock up and turn your hand to this when you feel like it. But the thing with Coco Goff is she doesn't do that. She's really committed to playing doubles and it's got her to world number one. I I think it's brilliant. 
Yeah, snuck on me, snuck up on me to the point where when the press release from the WTA arrived today, today to, to say that she is world number one, I had absolutely no idea she was anywhere near, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I, I did think that is a fantastic story, really, that, that she's managed to achieve this. And, and, and not... Not least because, and I think this is where probably the, the double specialists don't mind, is, I mean, it's not like she's just won a few Grand Slams and got all her points that way. She hasn't actually won a Grand Slam title in doubles yet. She's reached a couple of finals. But, you know, this has been an accumulated ranking. Yes, those finals have helped, but it's everything else on top of it. It's, it's, it's showing up for these for these tour events and, and playing them cons- consistently. I agree with you. I think it's a lovely story. I think it's helping her s- singles, helping her development as a player and as a human being. I think all that company and not just practicing all the time. And if you lose early one week, then you sh- you've got five days to kick your heels and practice for your next first round match the next week. You know, and I mean, I thought there was a... In her singles game, there was a real difference with the way she played against Simona Hallett this time. Yes, she lost, but she'd never never got close, really, in a set before. And the big thing was that she absolutely tried to knock Simona Hallett off the court. And I just loved seeing this this different version of Coco Goff in terms of aggression and, and approach. But moreover, I think she just continues to build what she is eventually going to become. She's the second youngest player to get to WTA doubles number one only behind Martina Hingis Uh, it's it's absolutely amazing that she's done it and I was I was really pleased for Goff and Pagula that they got over the line it was it was a stressful final as you said loads of match points Goff said that her legs were shaking throughout the match tie break (laughs) and of course they lost a, a very tight French Open final didn't they just 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 a few months ago and actually for both of them it was the biggest title of their career because they've never won at that level in singles either of them even even though they're you know they're absolutely top singles players um and Pagula I think is the only player who is top 10 in singles and doubles and of course you know it's not like Goff's doubles is as you said it's not hurting her singles it's only helping her singles I'm sure she's number number five in the race she's having a brilliant year and yeah those two together make a make a really good team I think and I hope others take note, and I think perhaps they already are taking note. I notice Emma Adekanu is playing doubles this week in Cincinnati with Elena Rabakina. Yes, please, to uh, to checking out a bit of that, by the way. Um, but I was I was so pleased to see that she's playing some doubles. I, I think it could be brilliant for her, a loosener, a, a way of making friends on tour. It must be so blooming hard to make friends on tour when basically you're... You're entering the fray as a Grand Slam champion. You know, that comes with... It's like... um, It's like being... Is it like being moved up a year in school? No, it's not quite like that, is it? But imagine, you know, having to go into the school canteen as... uh, Help me out with this analogy here, Matt. It's like... I don't know, you're just not... you're not on a level playing field with everyone, are you? I can't imagine it's very easy for her to, you know, go up to someone in the in the players' restaurant and say, you know, do you fancy having lunch together? I know that's not how uh, behind the behind the scenes at tennis tournaments work, but I, I think you know what I'm what I'm getting at. I think 
I'd be surprised if she ended up doing what Coco Goff's doing. But I think just dipping her toe in the water, I, I think it could be really brilliant for her. And I'm I'm pleased to see it. And um, I'm sure there's plenty of others that could benefit from it as well. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Before we talk more about Cincinnati and, uh, in particular, Emma Raducanu, which we will be talking about, folks, let's head to Montreal and the biggest win of Pablo Carreña Buster's career. He wrestled this from Hubert Hercatch, who looked to me to be in very firm control after after the opening set. I mean, Hubert Hercatch just loves a North American hardcore, doesn't he? And... Um, the the fact that it went to three sets, the fact that Pablo Carreño Busta did fight back and win that second set, also didn't perturb me with regard to Hubert Hokac's chances of winning because all of his matches this week have had gone to three sets and he saved match points in one of them and you know that was just the pattern he had developed over the course of the week and he looked as surprised and bewildered and and shell shocked as me actually that he didn't manage to find a way to, to come through and win that. He was 5-0 and uh, in tour finals going into this match. So that is the first time he's ever lost a final. And it looked like quite a chastening experience for him, actually. He looked absolutely crestfallen after the win. And by contrast, Pablo Carreño-Busta looked... He looked like he had a fun night in Montreal last night. He looked, he looked like a man that had thought, it's taken me 31 years to get here. I've spent 10 years playing in the greatest generation of 
male tennis players there has ever been. And finally, I've got an opening and I am going to party. Um, and yeah, it was it was one of those sort of they did a split screen of champion and runner up. And it was a it was a stark contrast. Well, and that's what you want it to look like, really, at the end. I, I do anyway. I want, I want to see the difference that victory and defeat m- makes to a, to a couple of tennis players, much as I, I want to see good sportsmanship as well. But I, I wonder whether maybe there's a flip side to that doubles conversation that we've just been having about Coco Goff, that Hubert Hercatch played doubles all the way to the semis. He played exclusively three set matches in the singles to to get to this point. Great week. You know, he beat had three set wins over Ramos Vinales and Kyrgios and, and Rude. Um, and, and and all of them went three sets. I wonder whether he ran out of gas a bit with, with all the doubles as well. It's a heck of a lot of tennis. And because it's condensed into a week and you don't have those rest days, I don't know. I do not know how they do it, really, when they're trying to back up singles and doubles wins like that. But... Yeah, it's coming into the match. I would probably have made her catch favourite, but let's be honest. I'd probably make most of Pablo Carina Buster's opponents the favourite in all the matches he plays against top twenty opponents. That and I and I feel bad about it when I when I actually watch him play because I I tend to be reminded about how good he actually is, particularly as an opponent against a big hitting player. He's so good at counter punching. He's so good at upsetting the narrative really if you think of of him beating Djokovic in the bronze medal match I always remember him beating Denis Shapovalov when Shapovalov was really making his first strides on the tour at the US Open classic five setter but Karina Buster just suddenly finds some inspirational tennis and and he's done that all all week long I mean his, his run of form beating Berrettini and Runa and Sinner and and then beating the two Brits back to back it's been great stuff from him, and, and, and in not a very good year, as he said after his Dan Evans match. I was really taken by the way he said, you know, I haven't had a very good year, to be honest. So this is really, really nice. Yeah, I think he was down about 30 in El Race, given that he's Spanish. We can use You're the You're big Nadal on El Race term. today, man. I am, I am. And now he's up to 11. You know, it just this, this one week has, has shot him up. And I think we saw a bit of that in his reaction. I, th- I think he... You know, the best week of your life coming at a time when you don't necessarily expect it, I think, is is going to be quite a powerful emotion. And it was brilliant to see his reaction. He leapt in the air. He he was so happy. And it, it kind of reminded me of, of the scenes when he won the bronze medal. And I me- always remember him saying, this bronze is like gold to me. And you felt that. And you felt that here as well. And um, honestly, it, it seemed like... Maybe for one week only, or or maybe he will take a lot of confidence from this. But he grew some fangs this week. You know, I, I often think of Pablo Carreño Busta as, yes, he's a brilliant competitor and he makes it very very tough for top players to beat him. But he can be a bit of a choker. You know, he can he can lose matches from match point up. He can very often fail to serve out sets or he's got a really bad record in Madrid. You know, in in his sort of home tournament he he doesn't always like that pressure and yet this week he was just ruthless and as as you said earlier kind of a bit of a killer you know whenever he got a chance he just he just took it and you know I, I reeled off a list of players remaining in the draw on on Thursday's podcast I think we we're down to the last 16 stage and I was 
talking about why I felt like it was quite a intriguing selection of players left. And I named practically everyone in the draw apart from Paolo Cunha Buster. <laughs> I did that classic thing of being really sort of unfair to him. And and yet in, you know, in hindsight, he had beaten Berrettini at that stage. And that was a really eye-catching scoreline and I think showed that he was in, in brilliant form. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing week for him. And, and, I, and I have to mention that one point in the final set Ooh. of the final. Honestly, one of the points of the year where he he scrambled back and hit a a really high lob over his head. He was running at full pelt and he, he slammed into the back wall he was running so fast. But he'd he'd got the lob so high that it bounced really high and her catch kind of misjudged it, smashed it straight back to Krenya Buster. The rally carried on. Krenya Buster ended up at the net, won it with a backhand smash and... It was just an amazing sort of highlight moment. And from that point on, there was there was just, just no stopping Karenia Buster. Yeah, I, f- I found this week incredibly discombobulating because Pablo Karenia Buster is 31 years old. We have known him for a long time. And, you know, I've got him firmly filed away in a certain place in my brain. And that is, you know what you're getting from Pablo Karenia Buster Great play, exactly as you just described, Matt. Not going to give you anything, keeps you honest. But he's not a streaky player. He's a week-in, week-out player. And he's not a highlights reel player. Well, <laughs> we've had pretty much the point of the year from Pablo Carreño Busta and this incredible one-week-inspired run out of nowhere from him. This is not the Pablo Carreño Busta <laughs> I know. I feel... Very, very discombobulated by it, and I don't know what to do with it. Is he, is he in the U.S. Open mix? <laughs> no, he's not. Well, hang on. This, this. Let's assume that this is a, a Novak Djokovic-free U.S. Open, and I know there's been a statement from um, uh, what department is it? I, I, I don't know. Whoever's doing the COVID-related policies for U.S. border control. CDC. CDC. Um, saying they're going to look at laxening their policies in the coming weeks. Well, he's there's a it's a week and a half now before the U.S. Open draw, so I, I still think it's looking unlikely. But anything can happen. But anyway, as it stands at the moment, Djokovic free U.S. Open. Nobody else is uh, is in form that makes you feel particularly confident. Nadal is a, a totally unknown quantity convince me that Pablo Carreño Busta, two-time US Open semi-finalist, is definitely not in the US Open mix. Well, I'll ask you a simple question. Would you be surprised if Pablo Carreño Busta yes, won I the would. US Open? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing presenting, David, and playing devil's advocate. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's all, all that it comes down to in the end for me, and that's why Simona Halep is in the mix for me, because I really like the definition we have for the mix. And, uh, and look, I, I, I've I have spent the last decade underestimating this guy, and yet I'm going to continue to do it. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, look, the, I think what, what, what it comes down to is the sheer beauty of sport. I do the same as you, Catherine. I file away a player under a little tag in my brain as to what they are. But sport can produce moments can produce inspiration can see somebody find form that they've never found before and make you think that they're someone that 
that you didn't think they were. But it it can just be a week. It can, and um, and he he's had that. Maybe he can repeat it. I'd be surprised if it's if it happens. It hasn't happened in the last ten years at this level of event before. So good for him. But I suspect this is this is probably not going to be replicated anytime soon. What I would say, hopefully in an attempt to make you both feel better about filing Krenya Buster away, is how do you think Nick Kyrgios is feeling right now, who famously tweeted a couple of years ago, if Clay didn't exist, dude wouldn't have even been close to top 50 about Pablo Krenya Buster, which is just a total misinterpretation of Pablo Krenya Buster's career. By that point, he'd already All reached... All of his best results have come on hard, haven't they? Totally. He'd already reached the but US Open semi-final at that point. He reached another one since then. He's an Olympic bronze medalist on a hard court. He's a, he's a very, very good hard court player. Um, so, yeah. I always just think back to that tweet whenever Krenya Buster does well. And P.S. Kasparud, a semi-finalist in Montreal as well. It's been a bad week for Nick Kyrgios's historic tweets <laughs> yes I would say Borna Chorich is going to go and beat Rafael Nadal next week <laughs> <laughs> um, Hubert Hurkacz in the US Open mix question mark that's more borderline I would still say no but it's much much more borderline so who's in the mix Ooh, not many Medvedev and Nadal pretty much Nadal, who we haven't seen play, he's since. still Nadal. I, I know, I know that's yeah. No, of course, of course, he's in with that. You know, he could he could a- arrive on one leg, and uh, I mean, he practically did win the French Open <laughs> on one leg, zombie foot. Um, of course, he's in the mix, but it's a it's a very non-definitive. It's it's is it? We quite often do individual versus the field. What about mix against the field? The US, if the mix is Medvedev and Nadal... I'd take them. You take Medvedev and Nadal over the field? Yeah. Matt? You see, I think my and mix PS, is bigger than PS that. PS Matt. Oh, and is her Go catch on. in it? Who's in it? Oh, gosh, I, I've said that and now I've got to back it up, haven't I? Um, <laughs> yes, with you names. have. Well, look, we've still got Cincinnati. I think, I think Cincinnati can change things. A good week for Alcaraz in Cincinnati. I'd probably find myself putting him in there. Um, Berrettini plays well in slams and at the US Open. That's my big thing about her catch. He had that one run at Wimbledon. He's not been good in slams at all. He's been really poor other than that one run at Wimbledon. So that makes me question him. He also looked like he was about to slip into a sexy French depression after <laughs> defeat yesterday. He really, really wasn't in a good way. <laughs> Who else is in the mix? Is Sitsipas in the mix? Should be. But I should be, but... I'm not sure he take, is at the moment. Do you take history over form? Mm, is is Alcaraz not in your mix, David? Alcaraz? Yeah. I... Don't think he is at the moment. I would need. I would need to see something new uh, that we haven't seen since Madrid. Okay. okay. He he isn't giving me confidence at the moment. Um, and look, it uh, doesn't change his long-term prospects for me whatsoever. I just think he's got something he needs to work out at the moment. Still Kyrgios think. In your mix. I was going to say, still think Kyrgios might be in my mix. You know, David. Borderline, and I'm probably veering towards not being. He might be in your little mix. Yeah. 
If I can have a little mix, I'll put him and her catching together for a little little chat. <laughs> um, Dan Evans had a good week, didn't he? David, Solly Hole correspondent. Yeah. Oh, I did watch all of his last three matches just so closely because, look, he played great tennis. And I think probably probably the best sustained tennis of his career. Um, we've seen him play some some brilliant matches, but he backed them up here. I mean, you and I think you were watching the same time as I was that Tommy Paul match, Catherine, and it was just the type of match that makes you want to wake people up to tell them to watch with you because it was so so much fun. Tommy Paul's a player who is so much more than I thought he was going to be. That these two were just playing a, this dynamic all over the court type of match. Some some players match up really well. I think Dan Evans matches up well against a lot of players to create good tennis matches. He created a great tennis match against Karina Buster. Those two were just bouncing off one another. And and Evans, the serve looked more reliable than I've seen it. The forehand was doing damage and looked more reliable than I've seen it. He he just looks in a, a brilliant vein of form. And obviously... You know, went on to, to, to reach the doubles final. And again, I think that there is that question mark over a player of, of his ranking as to how much you can expend, how much have you got in the tank to get, have a deep run at the tournament and have a deep run in the doubles and then still do it again the next week and still be a threat to, to go into the second week of a slam. He's, he's slightly found that balance quite tricky, I think. Which do you target or do you not bother? Do you just play it all on its merits? But in terms of form, I thought he was a joy to watch and he played brilliantly. Yeah, he gave, he gave me so many fun times this week. I've, I felt like I, I want Dan Evans to be involved in every tennis match I ever watched <laughs> this week because it was just electrifying. I loved it. Thank Canada you, Canada loved him, didn't they? I mean, yeah. They loved Canada, everybody. <laughs> Canada can do that to they, players. I remember Medvedev, Medvedev's run to the final uh, when he ended up losing to Nadal um, in 2019. Mm. They they really just took to him, I think, because obviously he's a French speaker, started doing all his interviews in French, and they they just took to him. And uh, it was, yeah, it was electrifying. Um, you mentioned the doubles final, David. Won by Neil Skubsky and Wesley Kulhoff in a match tiebreak over Dan Evans and John Piers. Um, and it's their sixth title of the year. They've just, you know, scratched pairing at the start of this year. And they've, they've just become winning machines. And, uh, yeah, incredible stuff from then. Um as things stand, Neil Skubsky has not been selected in today's Davis Cup team um, for Great Britain for the September group stage matches with the United States, Kazakhstan and the Netherlands. The team that's been announced is Cam Norrie, Dan Evans, Andy Murray and Joe Salisbury. A fifth player will be selected in the coming weeks. Um, so watch this space. Cincinnati, folks. All sorts of interesting things have happened in the women's draw. Iga Svantec, Gobini Muguruza, Paola Bedosa, Ange are the top four seeds in the top half, which also has Coco Goff and Samana Halep in there. Um, you've got a round one of Elena Rabatkina versus Maya Sharif, winner to face Garbini Muguruza. Her dad, Maya, against Ostapenko is a round one. Yes, Ooh, please. I want to say that. <laughs> Veronica Kudamatova against Barbora Krejcikova, winner to face Mukova or Halep. 
bottom half, you've got Contevate, Bagula, Sakari and Sabalenka. Uh, first round of Karolina Pliskova against Venus Williams. Amanda Anisimova against uh, Daria Kazakina and Naomi Osaka against Zhang Shui. Yes, please, to all of it. But, folks, but the draw gods really have smiled upon us because we have Emma Raducanu against Serena Williams in round one. Uh, and such is the excitement around this that the scheduling gods have um, got a bit high on life. And it was originally scheduled for first match Monday night, tonight, midnight tonight. I had it in my iCal, folks. Um, and it's now mysteriously disappeared from the schedule today and will be played tomorrow, much to the disappointment of uh, the many, many tennis fans in the Mason, Ohio area who rushed to get tickets for Monday. Um, they'll still get a great schedule of play, but they won't get Radicani Williams, which is just feed it into my veins. I cannot wait. What a treat. What an absolute treat. And I really hope Emma Radicani can see this as the, as the win-win that it is. Yeah. She gets to, there are so many players we we talked about it on Thursday didn't we that haven't ever gotten to play Serena Williams and most likely won't. Iga Swiatek has never had the chance to play the greatest player of all time mm. and that's such a shame for her and for us. Emma Raducanu is going to get that chance and I think that is wonderful for her and in terms of the match if she loses, she's lost to the greatest of all time. If she wins, she's beaten the greatest of all time. It is win-win. And I know there's going to be a lot of takes out there, no matter what happens, that, that don't look at it like that. But I hope she ignores those takes. Yeah. I think she will, Catherine. I think she'll she'll relish it. Um, I, I hope that nothing gets in the way. I, I hope that this delay of, of Monday to Tuesday isn't due to ill health for for one of them or or anything like that um i have no no knowledge that it that it is but i just hope that's the case of course um bit bit of a cock up really isn't it but announcing or letting it be known publicly that 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 match is going to be monday night and it turns out to be tuesday yes it did rain yesterday quite a lot i think a lot of matches were delayed certainly in the qualifying and the first round so that may have been a knock-on effect i'm not exactly sure why but you're right. I mean, to have a generational clash like this, which so nearly missed missed the boat before Serena Williams moved on in her life, um, it's a treat, and we, we should we should absolutely make the most of it. I will make the most of it, David. Even I, I might m- stay up for I that. I might make um, <laughs> honey juices. I still have some frozen melon balls in my freezer from from last year from our uh, semi final lock in. Mm. at Tennis Podcast Towers <laughs> last year, Matt. I don't know how well frozen melon balls age, uh, but <laughs> let's find out. This feels like a perfect opportunity to find out. I will, um, I'm will. i going to do that. I'm going to make honey juices uh, and I will take photos and put them on Instagram accordingly. Uh, the men's draw in Cincinnati. Top half, Medvedev, Rublev, Sitsabas, Herkatch. Uh, also got Taylor Fritz, Matteo Berrettini. Is Taylor Fritz in the US Open mix? No. Oh, I was about to say he might Ooh. be, you know. You'd, be, yeah, you'd I, not I'm be surprised if Taylor Fritz won the US Open. 
I don't think I'd be that surprised. I mean, I, th- I certainly think he's borderline. I'd be gobsmacked. Would you? Oh, wow! Yeah. Indian Wells champion. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, okay. we will we will revisit this, folks. <laughs> There's this been a is, lot of Indian Wells champions who haven't won the US Open. This is not over. Sure, I'm not saying he would necessarily win the US Open, but I'm, what I'm saying is he might be in the mix. Gobsmacked. I'd be gobsmacked if... Who am I going to throw under the bus? I'm excited for the next <laughs> words out of your mouth, Matt. Federico Del Bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Honestly. Imagine if what do you think, Del Bonis goes on to... He's... I'm far more with Matt than I am with you. I would not be gobsmacked. I, I'm not putting him in my mix yet, but I'm I'm considering it. Oh. I'll see what he does this week. I want a definitive by the time we get round to... Okay, USA. okay. Tommy Paul against Jensen Brooksby. Denis Shapovalov against Grigor Dimitrov. Kyrgios plays Alejandro Davidovich for Kina. Berrettini, Tiafo. Uh, Sebastian Corder against Karen Hashanov. Those are all top half first round matches. Andy Murray's in the bottom half. He's got Stan Rinka first round. Nadal is in there. Alcaraz, Kasper Ruud, Felix Auger, Aliasim, who had an absolute shocker, incidentally, in uh, in his quarterfinal in Montreal. Um, yeah, just didn't, having played brilliantly all week, just didn't show up. And it was uh, a little bit alarming actually. Uh, Nadal is a very interesting one this week, isn't he? Obviously, it's his first match on US hard courts. He'll face either Borna Choric or a qualifier in his first match, which they've already announced for Wednesday night, unless it gets moved. We expect that um, on Thursday. <laughs> um, he could return to world number one this week if he wins the title and Medvedev fa- fails to reach the quarterfinals. So look, at that's I think quite an unlikely set of scenarios, but it's possible. Um, I think Alexander Zverev could get to world number one this week um, if a certain set of things transpires. Um, Medvedev will keep the world number one ranking if he wins two matches. So, yeah, it's interesting. I don't think, you, you know, sometimes those sorts of, you know, a week when you could have three different players ending at world number one would be super exciting but the rankings are so diminished at the moment that it it does take something away i think from that storyline but anyway i'll still you know still on board the hype train uh a reminder that you have one more week to enter our wilson competition for us open tickets there for the lewis armstrong stadium in the day session of tuesday the 6th of september you have to become a friend of the tennis podcast to be eligible to enter and the link to do that is in our show notes thanks to everyone that's already entered i think it's safe to say judging by the number of entries that people are pumped for this US Open. I certainly am. Uh, somebody that doesn't look pumped but does look just utterly majestic is Willie the Cat, our mascot for this week. Willie was adopted in Long Beach, California and is now living in Idaho. Um, and I have to say, Willie is one of my favourite cats that we've ever had. I like Willie a lot. Um, Willie's got that you know, piss off everyone. This is my world and you're just living in it. I can definitely uh, see look about like him. It. And that is that is one of my favourite things about cats, the the sass. 
Uh, and Willie's definitely got the sass. Willie is clutching a tennis ball, uh, and he definitely doesn't want anyone to come near it. He's also he look his fur looks so dense and soft. I just want to bury my head in it and use him as a pillow. Uh, so hello, Willie. We'll pop a p- picture of Willie in our newsletter and uh, on Instagram as well. And Long Beach, California, is uh, where Billie Jean King was yes. born. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, a cat of great pedigree. We have our mascots. David's got Darwin. I've got Carter. Matt has uh, the dearly departed Gerald. Speaking of Billie Jean King, she and Alana Kloss sponsor Billie Jean, who's going on our holidays this week. We're all the Whitaker family are off to Limington on the south coast hey. to celebrate my dad's 70th birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. Whitaker. Happy birthday. Um, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes. And we have shout outs, Matt. We have Kazumi Motoike in Austin, Texas. Oh, hello. Right, Kazumi. That's a great name, Kazumi. And Austin, Texas is on my would like to visit list. I would like to go to the music festival that they have there. Apparently it's a very urbane, metropolitan, vibesy city in perhaps a, a state that would not be described using any of those adjectives. It's a little oasis, I believe, and I would like to visit. Me too. Thanks, Kazumi. Thanks, Kazumi. We've also got Simon Bell, who is in Ottawa in Canada. Hello, Simon. Right, Ottawa, Simon. well, very fitting to have a Canadian yes. this week. And Simon's provided us with some trivia about Ottawa. Yes, please, Simon. And more specifically about the Rideau Canal in Ottawa. It is apparently transformed every winter into the largest naturally frozen ice rink in the world. Seven, oh 7.8 kilometres long and a total maintained surface area of 165,621 metres squared, which is the equivalent to 90 Olympic-size skating rinks. Wow. Well, pop that on my to-visit list as well. Can I have a little skate down the canal? Mm. How cool Love is that? Love that. Thank you very much, yeah, Simon. Cheers, Every day's a school day. And finally today we've got Mallory Mapes Couture, who is in Ooh. Vermont, USA. Love the name Mallory. Right, Mallory. So we've got a Canadian, an American, and an American, or two Americans. Or So we're following, following the tennis, the calendar. Yes. The tour. Like Moller Mallory. The, uh, yes. the rival of Suzanne Longlen. Yes. Oh, I was trying to think yeah. of where, where do I know that name? Mm. That's right. Yeah. And Mallory says, I'm always listening and doing everything, really, with a 13-year-old long-haired Dachshund named Cookie. Oh, hello. And Mallory says, our favourite recurring segments are David is excited about... <laughs> <laughs> Catherine is annoyed by American football... <laughs> She says, thank you all for being a bright spot in some otherwise dark days. This, that was submitted 
about a year ago. So hopefully, hopefully things have brightened a bit since then. Oh, hope so, Mallory. Hello to you and to Cookie. Uh, we will be back, folks, on Thursday with a midway Cincinnati podcast, and hopefully we'll be talking about Emma Raducanu against Serena Williams if they've deigned to schedule it by that point, and plenty else besides. I'm pumped for this week. I'm almost approaching David Law levels of pumped. So we'll speak to you on Thursday. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter, become a friend, leave us an iTunes review, all those things, and we will speak to you in a few days' time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market.